So this evening we'll be looking at uh, the, uh, the first chapter of the book of Ruth. And basically it's a story of a family that leaves its homeland in Bethlehem and leaves the house of bread because of famine. There's famine in the land. And so Naomi and her husband head over across to Moab, which is just sort of a little bit across the river. But it's the enemies of the people. When people are starving, as we know, they're forced to be refugees from their suffering and to go sometimes to places that they wouldn't normally go. The Moabites were really uh, the foreigners, the enemy, the people who are, in fact, not allowed to come into the Holy Land. But they go, they're hungry and they go. And so the husband and wife and the two sons head across to Moab. And there the two sons, Malan and Kilian, marry two Moabites women. And uh, then Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die. And in those days especially, to be left alone, a widow, uh, where there's no social net, safety net at all, was a terribly dangerous and difficult thing. So really, both Naomi and her two daughters-in-law are, are left really abandoned and in great difficulty. So she decides to go back home. It seems that uh, the famine is now over and she can go back home. And she's willing to do that. But then her two daughters, daughters-in-law, uh, she says to them, well, you don't come. You know, you go and find another husband. I'm not able to take care of you and help you in that. Find a husband for yourself and you will be then safe. You will be all right. And one of them, Orpah, does say, yes, I'll do that. But uh, Ruth does not. Ruth says those famous words, whither thou goest, I will go. And uh, she, this is a tremendous experience of loyalty. And so the two of them go over. That's all we have in the first portion of the book of Ruth. It's a beautifully constructed account of, of this love and loyalty in the midst of suffering. Later on, we find the good news that Ruth finds uh, Boaz, the great lord of Bethlehem. Uh, they fall in love. They, uh, she marries him. Uh, they have a child, Obed, who is the grandfather of David. And so Ruth appears in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus. Uh, and this is a bit of the background to that. But apart from that very important reality, the key is right now is to meditate upon what this beautiful book says to us in the midst of our own world, where we have such, it seems, increasing violence, harshness, suffering. I think of that poor young man, Michael, the seminarian who was murdered when the uh, terrorists uh, invaded the seminary about a week or two ago and kidnapped four of them in Nigeria. And they beat up three of them and killed one. He is, they found his body now. So this is the world we're in. And in the midst of that, we find love, fidelity, and I think of young Michael, we find sanctity and martyrdom. With that spirit, let us enter into the book of Ruth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, Send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may have the ears to listen, to know your word in our own lives, to offer ourselves to you. 
Take away from us those sins, those distractions that block the pathway to our hearts, the noise in our thoughts and minds which disrupts and nullifies the power of silence, which is alone what allows us to come to know you. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Then she started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find a home, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter uh, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if I, 
also if even death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. As we begin to meditate and pray over this passage, let's just think of those times in our own lives when we have had such experiences of personal relationship, of loss, of loyalty, of people who really care, of kindness in the midst of suffering. And let's thank God for that. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. And she had experienced bitterness in her life, as have so many. And yet, she is to find kindness, not only in her daughters-in-law, but also in the love and the kindness of Boaz, who will marry Ruth, and in other people that she finds when she comes back home. So let's thank God in the midst of our various struggles the people who have shown us kindness. Let's say a little prayer for them now and thank the Lord for them. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. Here we have a situation in the days of the judges at a time when there was no order in the land. We see this in the book of Judges. This is the period just before around the year 1000, when we have various rampaging groups going back and forth. And it makes us think and reflect upon the blessings of order in life. Chaos is no friend to people who are vulnerable. In times of chaos, it's the weakest to the wall. And those who are vulnerable must flee. When there is order and just order, then both in civil society and in the church for that matter, then there is protection for those who are vulnerable. And so we find here a time of chaos when people are forced to flee, when order breaks down and they flee because of famine, but they also flee because of the time of chaos in which they live. 
And so maybe let's just think about that in our own life. What do we have in our own society? Where do we see this looming danger, the difficulties to put people, the most vulnerable, at risk? I think of many, and I think nowadays, especially in this book which speaks to us of love in the face of death. I think of our own country which, where the government, rather than bringing order, which brings life and protection for the vulnerable, seems set upon allowing the elimination of people who are like those who appear in the Book of Ruth. It is that kind of world which one philosopher said, it is red, nature red in tooth and claw. And so that's the kind of world we face. And of course, in other parts of the world, it takes an even more violent form. And here in the midst of it, we find some people who are struggling, who are forced to flee their country. It's ironic that Bethlehem means the house of bread, but they have no bread. So they have to go of all places to Moab, which is they have to go right to the place of their enemy. Think of how many people have to make these great transitions. How many people came, we think, here in the summer of 1847 because of famine in the land? And they went not to Moab, but to Canada. And they fled to find a little bread. This was in the past, and it is now. It's why we have such a emphasis in this diocese upon the Office of Refugees, the Archdiocese of Toronto. Ruth is a book of love, a book of kindness. It is also a book about refugees. And that's what Elimelech and Naomi and her two sons are. Let's think about that and how it applies in our life as we hear these opening words of this book. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi. The name of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the land of Moab and remained there. We pray the Lord for people who are in that situation. And as in the book of Job, as if it could not get worse, it gets worse. You think of so often, we think it can't get any worse. Whatever our situation is, it may be different from this, but some situation where there they fled their land, and there they are. So Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. A single mother with her two sons in a foreign land with no protection. They took Moabite wives, and the name of one of them was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years. And so there seems to be hope. There's some stability here. They've gotten out of this danger of famine in their homeland, and the death of Elimelech, and now they have wives, Moabite wives, in Moab. And both Malan and Kilian died. Oh, so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. 
Do we know of and each of us? Can you think of anyone who's gone through something like that? You have this terrible struggle. It seems to get a bit better. And then there we are. This book, at this part of the book of Ruth, is very similar to the book of Job, where all of the visible supports are stripped away. And you are left basically relying on a pure faith in the providence of God. Maybe that's a message we can get for this and from what it happens in our own lives or when we see it elsewhere. But sometimes we rely too much upon things which are not really very solid and one by one they're taken away. And so she's left alone and there she is. And then she started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And people have to do that too. She's going where she can find some food so they do not starve. And she's coming home. But she has with her these two Moabite daughters-in-law who really are not from Judah, have never been there. And in fact, people in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, it says, people from Moab aren't allowed into Judah. <laughs> Stay away. It's that kind of hostility which we find. In a sense, this is sort of like Romeo and Juliet, where these feuding families, you have love bridging over earthly feuds. So there they are. She's going home, and her daughters-in-law follow with her. But here we see Naomi, a great compassion. She cares for her daughters-in-law. There's a lot of love in this book. The fact that the daughters-in-law follow her and the fact that she realizes they're going into a foreign land, her, her own country, where they're going to be mocked and rejected and where there's, it's likely they will. And she realizes that she can't care for them. They should really go home in Moab and marry, remarry somebody, a Moabite husband, and then they can settle in their own country and have a nice peaceful life. And so she wants to offer that to them, although it means separating from them. And we can tell from the way they react to one another as they come literally to this parting of the ways that they, they love one another. She loves her daughters-in-law. Daughters-in-law love her. This is a beautiful book. It's a book filled with love in the midst of suffering and disaster after disaster. In the midst of it, we see careful thought, compassion, and very practical. She's thinking, daughters-in-law, you got to get husbands. I can't arrange that for you. Stay in Moab. That's where you can have your best chance of dealing with this problem. She's giving them very candid, practical advice. But there's something that triumphs over that, at least for Ruth, and that is the tremendous love that is there. And so she says, go, return each of you to her mother's house. Start over again. 
May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. It is an exchange of kindness. They have been kind to Malon and Killian and Elimelech, and they've been kind to Naomi, who in Moab were foreigners in that country. And so she reaches out to be kind to them as they have been kind to these citizens of Judah. The Lord grant that you may find a home, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. This, this book is filled with love and loyalty and kindness and consideration. So often in life we don't see that. Maybe we should make this a model for the way in which we tell the good news, to speak not only of the dangers and cares and problems of this world, as I've already done by talking about the advance of the culture of death, which we have, but let's also recognize in the midst of it the kindness, the goodness. Maybe the goodness and kindness shine more brightly because of the darkness around them. That's why I always keep coming back to the Lord of the Rings, which is based upon an awareness of the resilient power of evil, which was born in the heart of J.R.R. Tolkien in the midst of the Battle of the Somme, in the midst of violence, and in also seeing the way his society was going, the way our society is going. And yet in the midst of that, we have compassion, love, kindness, loyalty, these are things which flourish, like the little mustard seed growing up to be a great bush. Sometimes, you know, I think Pope John Paul, or Pope John the Twenty-Third, was famous for saying the thing that kept him calm as a pope was when he worried about all the troubles in the church. He said, "Well, Lord, it's your church; you take care of it. I'm going to bed." Um, that's. Um, a wise thing to have. I always like to have it in my head. I haven't yet got it to my heart because it's hard to actually really, you know, make that real. But here, I think, is something else. It's not simply not only the trust in the provident hand of God, but the awareness that in the midst of struggle, we encounter good people who are seeking with a pure heart to love, be kind and loyal and compassionate. And sometimes in the struggle against darkness, which seems to be almost impossible from an earthly perspective, it goes from bad to worse. And I can think of a few things lately which make me think that way. And yet in the midst of it, we see radiant goodness. And so she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi, she loves them, they love her. But it kind of helps to have a practical mind. And she's calculating, you look girls, it's not going to work. <laughs> she's, she knows what, how you survive in a cutthroat society like they're, they're dealing with. And so she said, no, 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 turn back, my daughters. 
Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should have sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? There is one practical lady saying, look, you know, Ruth, Orpah, it's not going to work. And that too, that is a kindness. When people are realistic, it's a kindness. Illusion is not a friend. It's an enemy. And this is true in a lot of things in life. When people sort of say, what is really there? It's a kindness and love and compassion, rather than sort of dreaming in a fog. Often that doesn't lead to anything. It's only a temporary relief and not a real one. And so Naomi, she's thinking it through. I remember this is somebody who I don't think has probably ever been compared to Naomi, is Lyndon Johnson. I've been reading about Lyndon Johnson recently for various reasons. And they say that when he was young, I would read this book by Robert Carroll. When Johnson was young, his father was very idealistic. And he bought a big piece of land that had been their property because he had a romantic attachment to that beautiful land. The only problem was it wasn't fruitful. You couldn't, it cost too much money. You couldn't make money off of it. It was a disaster and the whole family turned bankrupt. And poor Lyndon Johnson had to slave away in the, the hot sun, doing all kinds of work to try to bail the family out. And they say that, Robert Carroll says, that gave him for the rest of his life a great suspicion of happy illusion. <laughs> like his father was kind of a romantic. Ah, oh, the beautiful land, beautiful land. He spent all the money to buy it and it was a dud. And so you see, that was what led Lyndon Johnson. Whenever he was in, uh, the leader of the American Senate, he was the majority leader. And when someone came to him and said, I think this person's going to vote that way. He said, I don't care what you think. What are they actually going to do? And I think that's a bit the spirit of Naomi. <laughs> We, we need to have that in our life. And so she does. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So one of them accepted the reasonable advice and stayed in Moab, though everyone's crying. But Ruth went beyond that. There's something there that turns out to be an awareness of the provident hand of God that in some cases it is better to go beyond the calculations. This book is subtle, and so is life. You know, there are, there's wisdom here 
And often wisdom comes in reflecting on opposites, like it's wise not to go back, it's sensible, realistic to stay in Moab, and one of them does the right thing, does that. And But on the other hand, sometimes the other thing is the way. It's just like, look before you leap. He who hesitates is lost. And which of them is right? Yes. Depends. So here we have that subtlety. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And then Ruth says the most famous words in the book. In many ways, some of the most famous words in the Bible. Of a kind of transcendent loyalty that just is sublime and just is very real as well. Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if even death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is the most sublime statement probably in the whole Bible of that kind of loyalty, of I am with you, of friendship, of loyalty, of love, which I think it, it really speaks to us. Friendship, love, the bonds of affection, are meant to be solid. They're meant to be not swayed by this or that, by different circumstances. Too often we begin to look at what I find right now. We begin to have our finger to the wind and our ear to the ground. And ultimately that's no way to live. It is to live a principled life, to be honorable, to have a way we can chart our course in life because we're not going this way or that because of changing circumstances, but we know who we are and what the relationship of love is until death, there it is. Where you die, where I be buried. This is this. So I often say life is a marathon, not a sprint. Life is the whole thing. And so that's what we find with these famous words of Ruth. Let's just have a little quiet time now and say, Lord, help me in whatever my circumstance is and is different for all of us. Help me to have that serenity of spirit, that depth of principle, that complete conviction that allows me to live in my relationship, whatever they may be, whether it be marriage or priesthood, religious life or friendship or family, certainly in our own family or friendship of different time. May I live that with that complete selfless dedication to live for another person and not for self is ultimately the way to live. To get out of our ego, that is ultimately the way to live. That's why it is not, I cannot do this as I would want to do so. No. I think of those words of 
the abdication. No, that's not the way. It must always be to give oneself to a greater thing. I think on the Feast of the Presentation, it's appropriate to think of that. This is the day throughout the world where, for one thing we do, is we think of the consecrated life, a life that is dedicated not to my agenda, but to the mission or to the one I love, which is the Lord for all of us, but also others. Let's think about that for a moment. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. This is like the book of Job. Naomi means pleasantness. Mara means bitterness. Said so I may be called pleasant, but my life has sure not been pleasant. Come on, let me tell you what just happened. You know, everyone died. I got oh dear. So sometimes we can think that way and that's okay she's uh, like Job remember all the friends of Job are trying to cover up the reality of the pain and suffering you know giving excuses and dodging around it and Job is simply saying like in the psalm that says it's a wonderful psalm psalm 13 it is how long O oh Lord how long oh, answer me answer me Lord that kind of, which is a little shocking when you think you're praying a psalm. It's like our Lord on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's that freedom that really holy people have not to be on their best behavior with God. But she's saying, I had my husband died, my sons died, I got stuck in Moab, I everything else. Oh my God, my life has been Mara. And that's reality. So she also does this within the experience of the providence of God. But I don't think, again, God doesn't ask us to live in an illusion. We're called to have hope, not optimism. Optimism says everything's just fine. Hope says there are a lot of problems, a lot of mara in my life, bitterness. And there you are. It's not, you don't sugarcoat it. But in the midst of that, she hears the words of Ruth, whither thou goest, I will go, I will be with you. In the midst of bitterness, she found love, loyalty, compassion, and that's where we find it too. And there's no purpose in sugarcoating reality or being under illusion. It's only if we look straight at what's there and then by God's grace, we live it, that we will find our way home, not to Bethlehem, but to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so these, 
you know, the words of Scripture are so real. It's just so real. You know, people, it's not like a kind of fake, you know, card. You know, you get these things you get in stores. It's very real. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, that doesn't mean much in the, um, now, this is the end of chapter one. Will Ruth find true love? Will Naomi find happiness and peace back in Bethlehem? Will someone else show compassion to them? Will they themselves find something that will make them part of history? Read chapters two, three, and four, and we find out. And it's in the barley harvest that basically Naomi tells Ruth to go and glean, not take to the cleaners, but take to the gleaners. Because there was a part of the law that when you were, you know, harvesting and all that, you always left a little over. You don't suck it dry so you get every little bit. You leave some for the poor. And certainly Ruth was poor. And so in the course of going to get a little extra barley that's left on the ground as the harvesters go by, for that purpose, the law says don't beat it too much, leave a bit for the poor. She finds, she encounters Boaz, that noble person who looks to her and her vulnerability, who cares for her. And then in the course of a bit of a complication, as true love does not go straight always, in the end he marries her and they have a child, Obed, who is the grandfather of King David, and that's how Ruth gets in the line, the genealogy of the Lord himself. So in God's way, you know, I guess you could think the, the mills of God grind slowly, but they, grow, they grind exceedingly fine. God writes straight with crooked lines and things like that. This book is sublime, and we thank God for it. And so, what does this book say to my head? To know more about the ways of God, to my heart, that I might grow in my relationships of love with God and with the people around me, to my hands in how I know how to act and live in my life in Christ. Let's think of those three questions as I read the text before we come to an end of this evening's Lectio Divina. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. 
Then she started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find a home, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to remain return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if even death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? when the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.